This is Geeks Unleashed, episode 47. I got really excited. <laughs> um, For those of you who don't know, Mark is a big Disney nut. Well, all my family, but yeah, like, <laughs> I think I've been like pulled into it. Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 47. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week we cover the news of the week and we pick a couple of things to review that caught our fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. This week's reviews are the whole season of the Netflix anime show Yusuke and this month's pilot season is Fringe Season 1, Episode 1. And spoiler warning, this is a review show. So if you have not had a chance to watch Yasuki on Netflix, or if you are waiting to do your Fringe rewatch, you might want to pause this and come back later. Um, and then at the very end, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. And um, this week, I'm drinking my hot tea in, uh, <laughs> in a... The, the tea uh, debate, it always comes up. Yeah, man. Right. So uh, I'm not no beer tonight, so... Yeah. Uh, like, I, I, I don't have any iced tea tonight. I'm very boring. Just have water. So I think I think we even mix it up and like we both have beers or we or we have something like, like Yeah. Well tomorrow is my day to go grocery shopping. So yeah. my, my fridge is looking real bare right now. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, we need to do something like that. I have actually got beers in the fridge, but I'm not a beer. I'm not fancying a beer tonight. So I've got my my cup my hot tea and my Spider-Man mug. And um and actually that's probably a nice little segue into the Spider-Man adjacent movie sony has delayed morbius for a fifth time um, dun, dun, dun. yeah however not by much they pushed it back by a week so instead of january 21st 2022 the film will be now out january 28th doesn't seem to be much of a reason behind this i don't think it's going to really affect too many people whether it's come out on the 21st or the 28th but there you go yeah um and in other news Invincible has been renewed for not just season two, but also season three on Netflix. My deepest apologies. Invincible airs on Amazon Prime, not Netflix. Carry on. Robert Kirkman and uh, Stephen Yuen did a really cute video uh, to announce the renewal. Uh, very excited. We we haven't had a chance to finish Invincible just yet. So I am myself still trying to avoid spoilers, but me and Mark are probably going to sneak some kind of invincible review into next week's episode the what we have seen so far we have loved we just are not all the way caught up so i'm excited that it's getting a second and a third season i mean i think that gives them a lot of room to tell tell a lot more story i love that little video of robert kirkman on um that you released it was so cute Yeah, yeah um so moving on again to more comic book news They've announced Guy Gardner live action TV series for HBO Max with Finn Whitrock as the lead playing Guy Gardner. Apparently there's some more news to come on this as well. Uh, I think Alan Scott is going to be in this show as well, um, but they haven't announced any more beyond that. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited for a Guy Gardner role. Well, I mean, I hope it's a whole Lantern show. Um, guy is so annoying. <laughs> like, they won't, I, they won't, the they won't have Hal. They won't have Hal Jordan in it. No, I don't care much don't, for Hal either. Um, they don't seem to want to put Hal in it in, any, in anything now. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to. I really don't want to talk about Green Lantern until we're talking about John Stewart. Like, yeah. that's that's the Green Lantern that I want to see. Although I do love Kilowog. Um, he he is one of my favorite Green Lanterns. I don't know why I like him so much. I just I don't know. I like Kilowog. Um. But yeah, I keep so. hoping they're going to bring John Stewart from um, Arrow into Superman and Lois. But having seen the tone of Superman and Lois, I don't think they would put him in it. But um, I could be wrong. 
It's like, then again, Superman and Lois could fit picking up some Arrow people because Arrow is always quite dark and Superman and Lois is quite serious. So, well, it could also work because Superman and Lois also deals with people who have money and influence. Yeah. Um, and well, Oliver Queen is dead, but you know, there's still plenty of people that had money and influence on Arrow. So, there, there, there could be some room for some good crossover there. Well, yeah, he was going to Metropolis, so I know that the show isn't set in Metropolis, but yeah. So, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that we're finally seeing some element of Green Lantern. Um, so there was obviously we got teased with it in the Snyder Cut, and also yeah. Whedon's version. There was a little bit of uh, Green Lantern, but and in, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it started with what was that what, i can't remember what they call that battle with dark seed but yeah there's lanterns yeah. in that battle yeah yeah that's what i mean so, yeah. and moving on with other cw news they have released their first image from naomi it is an image of the lead character uh naomi played by casey walfall and um it actually looks so much like the naomi character from the comics it is scary how accurate they got they got her to be in this it's a complete um, homage of uh, the first yeah, cover yeah. of the first issue of Naomi exactly issue um and this one the naomi is a fairly new character it was created by uh michael uh michael brian bendis oh, your, your favorite um no, I, and... love I love him i love him in anything other than the superman run everything i've read i like like yeah. it just he just didn't seem to know what to do with Superman. But so, Naomi, Naomi, I have read and I really enjoyed. Yeah, um, it's uh, Brian uh, Brian Michael Bendis, David F. Walker, and Jamal Campbell um, are the creators for that character. And this is the series is being produced by Ava DuVernay. So I'm I'm super excited to see what what they're doing with Naomi. I think it's really to to bring Ava to TV. I mean, she does Queen Sugar on own. Uh, she's a producer for for that series, but uh, it'll be. I think it'll be awesome to have Ava DuVernay on, you know, a network adjacent television. So I'm super excited to see what we get with Naomi. I'm actually really excited. Seeing that image, I'm like, oh, I want to see a trailer now. Yeah. yeah. I'm completely down. I'm really like, it's actually been a quite, not quite nice little bit of um, TV and, and uh, movie sort of news, other than the obvious thing getting pushed back. But Invincible, brilliant. Guy Gardner, brilliant. I'm really stoked for Naomi. So. So some other news, we don't normally cover things like this, but I got really excited. <laughs> um, For those so, of you who don't know, Mark is a big Disney nut. Well, all my family, but yeah, like, <laughs> I think I've been like pulled into it. Oh, so. sure, sure, <laughs> sure. I, I do uh, it for the kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So um, Disney have announced that their fifth ship, the Disney Wish, is going to make its debut in summer 2022. You can start booking your place uh, from May 27th, 2021 for its maiden voyage in Florida uh, to the Palmas. For, and the first um, uh, outing is uh, June 9th, 2022. I'm going to kind of run through some of the things that got me excited, um, but I'm probably going to miss some of it. it. There's a lot going on there. If you go on YouTube, there's loads of little videos and then there's some half an hour videos by Disney themselves. So the first thing that got me really excited was uh, they've kind of made um, similar to uh, the dream and the fantasy that have got the aqueduct. They've got something called the aqua mouse, where it's very similar. You get on a sort of a rubber dinghy thing, two of you, um, and then you go up like into a big tube and then go around the whole ship. And the parts of the tube that are sort of 
where you can't see out above the ship. You get to see like Disney shorts as you're going through it, which I thought was quite a cute little thing. Um, they've also got this secret slide for the kids club. So like, I believe it's like on the top deck or somewhere a little bit higher up or a couple of floors up anyway. And they've got a secret slide where um, the kids in the kids club ages three to 12 can go on the slide and go straight into the kids club, which I thought was pretty cool. I thought it's a shame I'm not somewhere between three and 12. Cause I thought that'd be pretty cool <laughs> to get on a slide and go down a couple of floors. So um They've also got like a Marvel Superhero Academy where kids can train to become like Spider-Man or Black Panther and, and girls can train or other boys, I guess, could train to be princesses um, in the in the fairy tale hall. Uh, and you've got Rapunzel's Art Studio, Bill's Library, Anna and Elsa in their summer house. I think the kids club, to be honest, sounds pretty cool. So um, then you've also got some Broadway shows, which they always have sort of Broadway style shows in the in the theatre, like Aladdin, which I think is cool. To be honest, I've been on a couple of the cruise ships and the theatre shows are really like really expensively done they're mm -hmm. you know they're good production value so one of the things that got me the most excited and one of the reasons why i wanted to even mention it was that they are going to have a adults only star wars hyper space lounge um, <laughs> with themed cocktails uh, and screens that offer panoramic views to the galaxy so you basically could be sitting in the lounge and there'll be windows that look like you're looking out and you'll have the millennium falcon flying across i think it looks it, it, it looks amazing so there's a couple other things i was excited for as well they've got a frozen themed restaurant where you can have Anna, Elsa and Olaf sort of doing a bit of a sing and a dance whilst you're eating your dinner uh, which I, I you know like, let's be honest who doesn't love Frozen so and then so are the they going to build snowmen out of mashed potatoes I, I, I have no idea what the food will be like um, hopefully it's not frozen too so <laughs> like, um, they didn't tell you too much about this but there's going to be a Marvel restaurant as well so it, it just said sort of it's going to be immersive uh, Avengers tech showcase I haven't really alluded to too much what's going on there they didn't show too much of this so they're obviously saving some surprises for as we get nearer to booking um, there was another thing I always thought was really cool they've got a, um, a Disney uh, sort of a Walt Disney uh, restaurant like 1920s style uh, mm. which um, which again I'm, I'm excited for it. to be honest I'm just going to love being on that boat at some point when I can get on there so 2022 is a long way off but yeah I'm uh, you know I'm stoked to this so uh, yeah when this came out when they, this got announced about two days ago like me and my wife were like watching like all the videos on YouTube and everything it was yeah, it's cool and um just yeah like... mark mark texted me and he was like oh my god disney wished yada 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 i was like uh i have no idea what you're talking about watch the videos like <laughs> and just we have me and jasmine has a debate beforehand if you don't have kids you can still go like i've run into plenty of couples that have uh, been on this cruise ship so yeah I will say though I have been on a different cruise liner while a Disney boat was also in the harbor and when Disney boats honk their horns it plays when you wish upon a star oh, which yeah, yeah. which was really nice um, as opposed to just the normal foghorn so that that's the extent of my Disney cruise experience is just being on the boat next to a Disney boat. Oh, I'm so stoked. To, like, yeah, I am excited. Look, I'll admit, you know, um, I know Disney cruises are tend to be like the more expensive of the cruise world, but like, yeah, but Disney does uh, the does sort of experience <laughs> well. Yeah, like yeah, Disney yeah. experiences are, are like none other.
I think the whole experience of being on that ship is is an experience. Like you know, I do think the Royal Caribbean cruise ships do look nice, um, but they're but the but the Disney cruise ships, yeah, they it is it isn't just that you're going on a cruise ship. You're going right. like Disney, like you say, you know, you're doing on a Disney cruise ship. So yeah, um, and actually, do you know, I just remembered actually some of the they've redone a lot of the rooms as well, and so there's like these frozen themed rooms, and they got like frozen above the beds, and if you like little things like this, they have little twinkle light things in the wall now and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's all cool. Like you know, dare I say, a Disney cruise is like going to a whole new world. Mm-hmm. You could say it, yeah. <laughs> So let me know when you book your place. <laughs> Don't hold your breath there. Uh, <laughs> um, so that pretty much wraps up the news for this week. And we'll kick right into our first review, which is Yasuki season one on Netflix. Why is he not clean? It is not dirt. It is the color of his skin, my lord. Did you ink your skin black? No, I was born with black skin. You are born with a black skin? Yes. Interesting. Now, this is based, based, and I use the word based very, very loosely. Loosely. Uh, But Yasuki was, in fact, an actual person, uh, was believed to be the first and only black samurai in Japan. Um, There is a bit of debate over where exactly Yasuki came from. Um, two popular theories are out there. The first one is sort of he's from Mozambique, and that one has probably the most behind it because Mozambique was the first African country to actually get um, slaves over to Japan by way of the Portuguese. Um, and the other theory is that he could have potentially been from Ethiopia because Yasufe is actually a common surname in Ethiopia, or was at the time. Um, yeah, so he, uh, Yasuki made his way over to Japan, late 1500s. And uh, it's kind of unclear when and how he fell into uh, Nobunaga's service. Uh, but what is true is the first meeting, which, which you see in the first episode of the series, the first meeting, Nobunaga had never seen a black person before and assumed that Yasuki had tattooed his skin with ink. And so he directed his men to bathe him and clean him up. Um, <laughs> and then when, when the skin did not change color, he was shocked. <laughs> um, so I thought that that was a, a very neat homage that they put there in the, uh, in the anime. Also, uh, it was said to be that after... Yasuki had been in Nobunaga's service that uh, Nobunaga really did trust him, really did uh, value his input and ended up giving him a ceremonial katana, which is kind of neat because in the series, Yasuki gives Ichiro, which is the little boy in the town that he lives in, um, a little, you know, wooden training katana, like a little boken. Uh, so that was a that was a neat homage there as well. Um, also true in, in this history with Nobunaga and Yasuki, Mitsuhide, the, one of the villains for this series, was actually part of Nobunaga's court, so to speak, and he did betray Nobunaga. Uh, no one knows the exact reason why Mitsuhide sort of turned on Nobunaga, which if, if no one really knows the reason, then I think the way that the series kind of weaves Mitsuhide's sort of 
close-mindedness into why he dislikes Yasuki and why he doesn't like the way that Nobunaga is trying to move Japan. Um, it kind of makes sense. So it was it was really interesting that they took so many little facets of this real man's life and kind of wove them into this very fantastical, very magical, very bloody <laughs> um, anime tale. So that's the sort of history behind the actual character, the first and only black samurai in Japan. Both casts for this are great. Uh, so a little a little different thing we did here today. Mark watched this in English. I watched this in Japanese. Um, but I also did watch half the episodes in, in English after I had already finished the series in Japanese. One of my most favorite things about this series was that both versions of Yasuki are played by Black men. Even in the Japanese version, um, Yasuki is played by uh, a Black Japanese actor. He has an American father, Japanese mother, who's born in Japan. And he did not actually learn English until he was 33 years old. So uh, Japanese is his native tongue. Uh, his name is Jun's uh, Soijima. And then, of course, the English version is played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is also a producer for this show. Um, other notable voices you might have heard, Ming-Na Wen. Love her. I have loved her since ER. Uh, Ming-Na Wen plays Natsumaru, which is the other odd, quote-unquote, samurai in Nobunaga's court. Odd because she's a woman. Um, uh, so Ming-Na Wen is one of the voices, and uh, the robot, whose name is Haruto, is played by Darren Chris in the English version. So, um, yeah, the one of the, I guess one of the biggest differences I noticed with watching the Japanese version and then turning right around and watching the English version was just sort of the depth of bass in um, Yasuki's voice. So, in the Japanese version, version Yasuki comes off as far more serious to me. Um, than than sort of Lakeith Stanfield does in the English version. It doesn't it doesn't really change the perception. It just sort of I don't know. It it, it doesn't have as much heft. Like it, when I watch it when I watch the series in English, it doesn't feel as serious as it did when I watched it in Japan. Uh, in, in Japan in Japanese. <laughs> but yeah, so vo voice cast is great. It's it's surprisingly good and then the guy who plays uh nobunaga is actually the voice in both versions both the japanese version and the english version um and that is takahiro hira and as far as the story goes it, it had way more fantasy elements than i expected uh when i first heard about the series i was super super stoked because i had heard of um yasuki before as being the first samurai in japan or first black samurai in japan and so i was kind of expecting more of a I guess more of a period piece, sort of along the lines of something like a Dororo, which is a fantastic anime if you have not watched it. Um, but there were very it was, there there was magic and robots. I, honestly, though, the robots really felt out of place. In yeah, I, I didn't like the robots. Yeah, like, I didn't it, understand it, that at all. When the moment like, the robot like, arrived, I was like, "Oh, okay, we're doing this, are we?" It was just like, yeah, because like the first, the first like ten minutes of the first episode, there's not really any dialogue. It's just battle, battle cries, and screaming on the battlefield, and <laughs> yeah. people dying on the battlefield. So for the longest time, I was like, "Did I, did I accidentally turn everything off and just turn subtitles on?" Because like all the it was like grunting noises at the bottom when the subtitles would pop up. Yeah, it, it starts off with, it, it drops you in the middle of this battle. You don't know who's who. You don't know, I mean, you can kind of guess who's good and who's bad. 
but it's like everybody's fighting in these traditional Japanese garb and then all of a sudden you've got these gargantuan robots and I'm like what the hell (laughs) like where did these robots come from um I just it just felt completely out of place and like even as the the series progresses it's only six episodes six half hour episodes it it never you never get used to it like it, it even even while they're while they're in the heat of battle in the middle of battle um it just it's always out of play like the the robots are always out of place that's the one thing that was just kind of like why why did why did we need that like we could have kept the magic like i can get i can get behind the magic but have it because they don't explain there first of all there's a lot that they don't explain which is not necessarily a bad thing they they don't bother to explain how they got the technology to make robots, how they got the technology to do all of this stuff, um, which on the one hand is okay, but still it's like the magic I can, I can understand. I can, you know, I suspend my belief on the magic, but I couldn't, I couldn't get behind the robots. And I, I think the, um, having watched both in English and in Japanese, the, the Japanese robot actually has a robotic tone to his, speech so it feels more robotic than than it does in the english version whereas in the english version it's just i mean you can tell that it's it's just a guy (laughs) like there's there's no intonation or no robotic overtones or auto-tune to to the voice at all um which which kind of makes it even weirder because it's like in the japanese version you feel like this is definitely a robot not a human that could potentially have be controlling the robot um, because at one point in the, I think it was in the big final battle in the last episode, uh, at this point, the, one of the people who can control magic kind of controls a robot, but you can hear someone inside the robot saying, don't shoot at me. I'm not doing this. Um, so like the, did the bad guys have mech suits and there are people inside these robots? Cause it, it doesn't feel that way with, with the one robot that we see for most of it, which is uh, Haruto, who's part of the band of mercenaries that kind of travels around at the behest of the priest. Um, so anyway, robots out of place. There's magic. We're in the 15th century in feudal Japan. So as far as the characters go, we've got Yasuki, who there there's a massive time jump because at the very beginning, after, after this big robotic battle, um, we see him and Nobunaga and at, true to history, Nobunaga commits seppuku and um, then ask, asks Yasuki to uh, sever his head so that he can die an honorable death. Yasuki does that. And then we jump probably 20 years. I think it says 20 years into, you know, 20 years forward. So Yasuki is like a much older man. He's got gray hair in his, in his dreadlocks. He's living a quiet life in a town village. Everybody knows him as the boatsman. Nobody knows his name. He doesn't have a name. Um, and one kid in town has just taken such a shine to him, follows him everywhere, tries to surprise him, is always jumping out at corners, trying to fight him and do all of these things. So at the very beginning, they do a good job of sort of building the, uh, building the characters to the point where you, you care about them. Uh, like I said, that little kid is really endearing because it doesn't matter how many times Yasuki tells him, like, leave me alone, kid. I'm not interested in teaching you how to be a samurai, yada, yada, yada. The kid's like, no way, man. I don't care what you say. Like, I'm gonna come back tomorrow. Like, I'm gonna come back tomorrow. We're gonna do it all again. Um, so it's it's really interesting because it, for the most part, like, the, the townspeople don't care. 
and he is clearly this very large very black man that is out of place in this village but the villagers don't mind him like it's it's not it's not a thing uh which i say that as an emphasis because his blackness become like it it was an issue in his past and then it becomes an issue later um in the series um living in this town with that uh you know just kind of transporting old ladies on the boat doing fishing giving fish to the people living a very quiet life um then he comes across a woman ichika and her daughter is sick her daughter is saki at first it's like no one really knows why the daughter is sick and then she exhibits some of the magical abilities that we see in the very opening battle and it's kind of like oh okay so this this kid's different so she gets so sick that her mother is finally like oh man i really need to take her to a doctor but it's a doctor like four towns over which we got to go through enemy territory to get to this doctor so after some convincing yasuki agrees to do it and that's kind of when the story takes off they go out but they're being hunted by this band of mercenaries the band of mercenaries includes a, a shapeshifter russian woman named nikita who looks to be about eight feet tall um a shaman which an african shaman have no idea where he's from so he's the only other black character in the series uh there is a sword wielding woman who looks exactly like morgana from <laughs> uh the seven deadly sins uh, I don't really know. Like she's just some kind of mercenary that carries this big sickle. And then there's the the robot mercenary that is completely out of place. Anyway, so this band of four is now tracking Yasuki because they want the kid that Yasuki is trying to get to the doctor. So that's our conflict. Yasuki is, you know, 20 years removed from the dead uh, emperor guy who controls or was trying to unify Japan, trying to live a quiet life, can't live a quiet life. He gets pulled back into this bullshit, basically. Uh, and an evil priest, which this priest must have been friends with the priests from <laughs> Castlevania. That's all I could think when I was watching this is like this guy left the Castlevania crazies and decided he was going to go to Japan because this priest is just evil. Um, so he's paying the mercenaries because he wants to control this girl's power. Anyway, for two episodes, we have the priest. And when he is dispatched, it is a glorious death, as they would say. This show is violent when it comes to the people getting killed off. I mean, there's heads being lopped off, bodies being chopped in half, blood squirting all over the place. So it is not exactly kid-friendly. It kind of reminds me of Seismanos as far as levels of violence goes, or even like Castlevania. It's it's very gory. Um, and there's even one point where we get entrails and all of the glorious insides coming out to the outside. Yeah, it's... You know, for honestly, like the story is probably the weakest part of the series. Um, uh, I and and it's funny because we just talked about flashbacks in our book club episode when we we talked to uh, Mellow Brown about Akira and how flashbacks can sound, like take away from the story because it it's almost like they're cheating with the information that they're giving you. But in in Yasuki, the flashbacks are telling something so different from what the main story is telling that I actually enjoyed the flashback sequences more in this series than I did them being in the present. Because it was just, it was interesting to see that Nobunaga really had this idea that he wanted to be the guy that could unify Japan. They could stop all of these stupid, petty, feudal fights uh, or clan fights and just operate as one country. 
um, which, uh, you know, at the time was way, way, way ahead of its time. And a lot of the pushback that he got was people saying, well, this is not the Japanese way. This is not the traditional way. This is not the old way. Like we don't, we don't do things this way. And I thought that that messaging from the flashback stories was super prominent, super important and very timely because it was kind of like, things are changing. Whether you want them to or not is a different story, but things are changing. The world is changing. Clearly the world is opening up and Japan is opening up with it or Japan could be opening up with it if we let it. Um, so it, the, the dichotomy between the people who wanted Japan to stay exactly as it had always been versus this Nobunaga having a vision of a totally different Japan than what they were living in now, it scared a lot of people. It put off a lot of people. And that's why so many of the other clan leaders and you know regional people hated him because they felt like he was just kind of ignoring their traditions. And it's almost like I wish they had just told that story. Like I wish they had just told the story of Yasuki being a part of this court um, and and the and like get us all the way up to the point that we open the series with, which is the battle that uh, where Nobunaga ends up dying, instead of telling us a story twenty years after all of that happened. Um, I don't know. I mean. What did you think about the two different time time periods that it focused on? Uh, I think I was going to say I agree with you about the story. Like, um, I I think probably maybe talk about what I liked. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, okay, so why I love the art. Honestly, I thought the animation and the 2D animation style really worked to the show. I'm glad yeah. they didn't. So, you know, like when we watched Pacific Rim, they built mm-hmm. in a lot of 3D animated. It was animated, but it was 3D digital. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually felt that the 2D animation for this show really worked well and it suited the theme and the context of the show. Yeah. It, it was um, a lot more endearing to the kind of sort of 16th century storytelling that they were shown um, and uh, storytelling. And um, I thought the art was really well done. So I think sometimes actually adding those extra visuals at 3D, um, it works for the for certain types of shows like Pacific Rim, obviously sci-fi, um, science fiction, robots, future world. And it would work with other things like Ghost of the Shell and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So I think 2D very much um, suits sort of 16th century type anime i remember actually when um uh i think it was playstation 3 when street fighter released their first ever 3d animated um mm-hmm. fighter game and everybody hated it everybody hated it. <laughs> yeah because so, they were all used like, to the arcade yeah, version the 2D, yeah yeah the 2d version and i think this actually really did suit the 2d uh in terms of the stories though like i didn't really feel and i know what you just said about the the whole flashback side of things and the the two different styles sort of two different timelines I just didn't feel there was enough of of though that those flashbacks to really draw me in mm-hmm. um, and really appeal to me in terms of there was just wasn't enough development like you know and I know I'm not a big anime fan but I know well I'm not I, I like anime but I'm not as big a fan as yourself and I know that there are other shows like um, I forgot the name of them now but I was when I was sort of getting ready for this but I know there are other anime shows like um that that do focus on like maybe each character has an episode to to build upon and Mm. unfortunately none of the side characters get any real development at all so you're really building one show upon upon one character over six episodes where I didn't really feel there was enough flashbacks to really you know especially when we had this jump of 20 years between 
sort of the initial fights in the first episode, and then we got 20 years later, got a big jump. Mm-hmm. I don't know, could have almost done with a slower pace like, and, yeah. and, and really built up. But the one thing that like, really just annoyed me about all of it was just these robots. Like, I just, yeah. I, I honestly don't, don't know what happened. Where, you know, I, were they just drinking one night when they came up with this idea? Like, they <laughs> yeah, you know, it'd really... be great for robots in 1562. Yeah. Uh... So, I, 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 like, like you said, though, like, I'm on board with the magic because I think the right. magic suited that time. Yeah. And, and, you know, if we're going to, you know, it's sort of like it's an alter, alternate 16th century. Well, of course, it's alternate, like, it's got robots, but like, yeah, when, but when like, the, you can't the... have both, right? It's almost like, uh, uh, okay, we're doing a period piece, fine. And, and we're going to throw magic into the period piece, great. Now, if you did a period piece and there was no magic, but you had robots, that would be different because that could definitely be like some kind of steampunk element where the robots yeah, are powered by something yeah. else. So I was about to say, if this wasn't, but this didn't have a steampunk feel to it. Like, no, not and, at all. And if it was a steampunk anime, like, um, the, 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 you know, the only thing that jumps out at me is this, the movie Steam Boy, uh, which, I, <laughs> which, I, which, I, which I, I love that, that movie. Um, that, like, but then that wouldn't, have, but that Steam Boy film wouldn't have suited samurais rocking up yeah. so i don't think steampunk would have suited this show i honestly honestly really if they make a season two just drop the robots find a way just just we'll just pretend it didn't happen like you know we'll, yeah we'll and that's on. the thing like i feel like, like i could have given this a much higher rating because I, I i i really did enjoy it i enjoyed the animation like you said i enjoyed the the violence i enjoyed a lot of the dialogue i thought it was very well written Oh, yeah, um, yeah. there were so there were so many like one-liners that really got me um and so many things that just made me giggle um but like it, it it's the, the robots i they never fit they never fit the story because the robots never did anything significant so why were they there i don't really get what they were going what they were doing maybe they let somebody from I don't know, maybe like one of Joss Whedon's teams sneaked into the right <laughs> room or something like I that. Like, <laughs> so, um, I, I, I don't know. Like other than robots aside, I, character development and overall backstory in general was fairly weak. They kind of had a story they were trying to tell quickly over six episodes. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be a bit like the Dune Chronicles. Maybe we're going to get another six episodes drop in six months, which is going to be like season one part b or something i don't know yeah um and maybe it will flesh out a little bit more so i've got you know i've got to put my hands up i'm not a big sort of and my knowledge of anime tv isn't as strong as yours i didn't love the show but i didn't hate it i kind of was sitting more in the middle i loved yeah. the art i i definitely thought the voice acting was strong um mm-hmm. and like like you said um uh, what's it uh, Ming now? Uh, when who I love from Agents of Shield, um, and Lakeith as well. I thought his voice was so, I don't know, like really deep and strong, and really suited the character. And like whenever he spoke, I was like, yeah, like you know, you could really feel he, he's embracing this character. Um, and and I didn't watch Japanese; I just watched the English one. Uh, also, I, I don't speak Japanese. I know you do, um, but I, I, I didn't even think about it. To be honest, I probably could have done the subtitles, but um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I guess I, I, it was something about it for me that just kind of felt missing in the show. Like, I, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't watch a second season, but at the moment, I just didn't feel there was anything really pulled me in. There wasn't enough for me. That's that's just sort of it. I think it's. It was definitely my kind of show. Um, so other than the robots, my only other beef with the show was in the present timeline. Um, it really, which I guess it's my own bias because I was really excited that they were telling 
the story of a black samurai and then it turned into the story of Saki where it's kind of like her coming into her power and everyone else kind of helping her come into her own Uh and uh by by the end I was starting to get very annoyed and I was like don't tell me that I have watched this series up until the very last moments and Yasuke just dies so that this girl can live that's not what I signed up for like I wanted his story I didn't want her story um and again that could just be me being selfish like the the first and only black samurai in actual history and and you're you're telling his story and it turns into the story of this uh little girl and her magical powers um but thankfully it he he didn't die at the end um but at the same time I think that's probably why I liked the flashback sequences so much better because they were actually they were dealing with actual issues and they were they were having like deep conversations about why Yasuke made everyone so uncomfortable why did you know why was it such a big deal that Nobunaga had a black man and a woman in his samurai force like why do so many people care so much that he's not doing things the traditional way why why was everyone else so resistant to change or to so resistant to something new um and I just think if if they had spent a little bit more time exploring those concepts those are universal concepts it doesn't necessarily have to be a race or a gender issue I mean I, you know everybody has had a time in their life where they felt like an outsider you know and I think that uh. that's a universally relatable issue and and I think it just would have it, it would have made for a much 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 more interesting story if we had explored the 10 years or however long it was that Yasuke had come into Nobunaga's court and shaken things up to the point where the rest of Japan doesn't want to work with Nobunaga because they think that he's too progressive and and it, it just it there were a couple of uh moments where uh what was his name Masuhide said something to the same effect like uh when they go to the first Iga castle and they're like hey look we didn't send the whole army you know Nobunaga sent his seven samurai which is a very it's a very traditional Japanese thing to do uh we sent a seven samurai if you surrender to us you you know your lives will be spared yada 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 and the Iga guy in the castle is like hell no man he only sent five samurai because you got a woman down there and a black guy down there so they don't (laughs) count um and then, of course, the, he challenges Yasuke to basically a duel, and Yasuke kicks his ass. It was kind of awesome. That whole sequence was awesome. The um, sequences were definitely really good. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that story in itself, and and at one point, that guy is such a is such an ass, and he's like, you, you know, you think you're so great, but history is going to forget you. And that one line of all the lines in this series kind of stuck with me because, literally, Yasuke is the only black guy to ever become a samurai. Like nobody's gonna forget that nobody um so his name has literally lived on for centuries centuries and all of these the people you know back in the 1580s were fighting against opening up to outsiders and and they were so scared to lose their traditions and their traditional ways and it was just like you you know i I don't know it's kind of like the change is inevitable right like things are eventually going to change so you can either go with the flow or you get dragged along with it. So you pick, you either come on your own or we're going to take you with us regardless. 
Uh, so again, I think that would have been a much more interesting story to tell. Not that I didn't hate, you know, I didn't hate the the modern era, and I liked a lot of the characters that we meet along the way, especially the odd band of mercenaries. Um, I really liked Nikita, who is the eight foot tall Russian shapeshifter who turns into a bear. Um, like I, I enjoyed it. The it, the the combination of magic and robots in the fifteenth or sixteenth century was odd but the story that they were trying to tell the message that they were trying to send and the fight sequences were really really great so i would love to see more and um i i'm a fan of lashawn thomas uh he had another anime series cannon busters he does uh, boondock saints he's done uh, a, f- a couple of other things so anytime he's involved i know i'm going to enjoy it uh so uh, if there's a second season i am 100 down to watch it uh, but yeah, I just, I would love, I would, and, and it's funny. Cause like, what was it that we were talking about? I think last week. Oh yeah. When we were talking about mortal Kombat and how you were like, I really wanted more of the, you know, Scorpion and Sub-Zero in, you know, 500 years ago. Like that's how yeah, I feel yeah, this yeah. week. Like I really wanted more of the samurai from the 1500s versus, or, or before, uh, you know, the war. Like I, I wanted to know how we, how we got to that point. Yeah, I was listening to actually something the other day where it said something about the guy who played Sub Zero. I was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to have loads of flashbacks. We're going to have loads of, we're going to find out more about my origin, my backstory, why, why I've got this beef with Scorpion. Mm-hmm. No, no, you didn't. You didn't, you didn't find out any <laughs> yeah. of that. We, didn't, we, don't, we don't know shit about who it's you are. We're coming just, in the next one. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Maybe they're going to tell us that they're doing a Sub Zero HBO Max miniseries. Like, that, do, I do would know, love that. Do, do you know what? If they did that, I probably would enjoy it because it probably would be six episodes of maybe this like but in yeah. but in like real life kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, we've massively sidetracked. Rating four out of five. And yeah, like, like I say, I didn't hate it. I just didn't love it. It wasn't I just there was just I think there was I wanted I always say this character like story, like it just wasn't enough for me. I wanted um, more Yasuke. It, you're yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be about him. I wanted more of him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we will leave it there and we will now move on to um, our monthly feature. So in case you've never listened or heard this part before, if you're a first time listener, uh, first time <laughs> caller, first time caller, first time listener, uh, we every month we started this in January. So every month we do a pilot season, which we kicked off in January with Dexter. So this, I think, is like in the realms of Dexter in terms of pilot, not in terms of show. Mm-hmm. Um, just to clarify what I mean by that is the first few seasons of Dexter were just amazing. Um, and then the last two or three seasons were yeah, just Yeah, we like to pretend season wreck. eight never happened. And seven. Like seven, <laughs> seven and eight, just, yeah. So uh, just just uh, to note, actually, they have released a trailer um, for uh, A teaser. Dexter. It's a 30-second teaser. Second teaser. teaser. Yeah, teaser, teaser trailer, but still... So. Yeah, I think I'm hoping that they're going to redeem themselves. Yes, because uh, they got a lot. They got a lot to make up for. Yeah, yeah. I remember when that ending came out, they got destroyed. Um, uh, I think they deserved every bit of it, <laughs> the <laughs> same way that HBO deserved to be like manhandled with uh, Game of Thrones. Um, I think when it came out, I'm pretty sure from memory, Dexter's ending came out at the same time as Breaking Bad or something like that. Like, um, but anyway, I could be wrong on that. Anyway, so. Come work for me. 
And I'll get you the clearance. Oh, details. stop. Shut up. There's more you need to hear. You must not have heard me. I said stop. They're calling these events the pattern. As if someone out there is experimenting, only the whole world is their lab. You've seen it now. You know. I don't want to know. I have a job. This is a more important job. Anything, anybody you need, you can have. Fringe Season 1, Episode 1, came out originally uh, on the 9th of September 2008. The first episode had a running time of 81 minutes. This is the synopsis of the episode, before we break it down. After a plane from Hamburg returns with no survivors, FBI agent Olivia Dunham goes after the only person that might shed some light on the incident, a scientist that has been in a mental hospital for the last 17 years. It's a very brief synopsis, you know, just enough to probably pique your interest. Anyway, so the cast is made up of a few regulars, Anna Torf, who plays Olivia Dunham, who is your, your sort of point of view character. Joshua Jackson, that everybody knows from Dawson's Creek, is uh, Peter Bishop. Lance Rederick from The Wire plays Philip Broyles. And from um, John Wick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, that was after this. Um, yeah. uh, Kirk uh, Ace Vidal. Oh, Acevedo. Uh, he plays Charlie Francis, probably actually one of my favourite characters in this show. So I was a little bit annoyed that he doesn't make it all the way to the finish you know i have to say um, for the longest time i hated kirk acevedo not by anything that he had done well maybe just because he he was such a great actor but he had a small role on a tv show called third watch that used to be on nbc oh, and he killed my favorite character on third watch who was played <laughs> by bobby cannavale and when i literally cried for three days after they killed off bobby's character on uh third watch and it was Kirk who played the guy who did it and so when French first came out I was like oh man this show seems really cool and then it panned over to a picture of him and I was like oh that fucking guy (laughs) (laughs) do do you know like um he 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 was a uh, he played Rich Dragon, uh, so Richard Ricardo, the the dragon in, in Arrow, which I thought was pretty cool. But one of my favorite things that he was in was um, Twelve Monkeys. Oh, I never watched that series. Oh, Twelve Monkeys is so good. Well, I, I hated uh, the movie, so that's why I never watched. The oh, series. I hated the movie. Twelve Monkeys, the TV series, is amazing. I, I've always said this to you. I love time travel shows. So, yeah. like, um. 12 Monkeys does become very mythology-like towards the end, but the first season, which he is in, is is really, really cool. Like, I would, I would honestly recommend you watch 12 Monkeys. Anyway, actually, maybe we should put 12 Monkeys down <laughs> down for pilot season, because I tell you what, if you watch that, you'll, you'll be like, oh, it's amazing. Anyway, um, Blair Brown is Nina Sharp. Um, Jessica Nicole is Astrid, who is another favourite of mine. Oh, Astrid's oh, so man. good. Astrid Farnsworth, I just oh, love her so much. Oh, uh, Mark Valley plays a reoccurring character in season one called John Scott and John Noble, the amazing John Denethor. Noble. I will always think of John Noble as Denethor from Lord of the Rings. And uh, he is Dr. Walter Bishop, who adds our comedy yeah. uh, in he's, season one. He's fantastic in the show. So, oh, so good. Oh, he's just amazing. Just uh, we'll, we'll come back to John Bishop in a minute. And um, Sorry, John Bishop. Getting confused. Walter <laughs> Bishop. Uh, so... This show is pretty much, if when you watch it, the very beginning, it literally is the X Files, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, um, but when the, when the show begins, you're on a plane, 
and you've got this guy who seems to be having some sort of panic attack. Takes well, there's a, a whole lot of turbulence. He's got plenty well, yeah, of reason yeah, yeah, to be yeah, having a panic yeah, attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's having, a, he's having this panic attack, etc. And yeah, I mean, you know, we've all been on a plane and there's a bit of turbulence. I mean, I know I know on TV shows when you're having turbulence, they kind of really overplay that turbulence. But um, and I'm sure there has been times <clears throat> in the real world when people have had that, but I think it's very far and few between. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so he takes this insulin pen and within the first two or three minutes, it is fairly horrible to say the least. Like people, like one of the pilots comes out to the co- uh, out from the cockpit out oh to the God. plane, and, and that that bit, his whole jaw is like falling off. Their skin yeah. is melting like, off. Uh, like their body parts are falling. It's disgusting. And I completely, when I was watching this, I had completely forgotten what happened in the first episode. Like, didn't nothing was ringing a bell. So I sat down with my dinner to oh, watch no. the first episode, yeah. and ten minutes in, and I was like, nope. Mm-mm. <laughs> I like I literally could not eat. I had to turn it off, go eat, and then come no, back no, to it. No it Chinese while I'm watching disgusting. this. Disgusting. Oh. oh god. So, the, this episode is disgusting. I mean not all of it, just just no, but like, like the first 20 minutes, because like they keep yeah. they go onto the plane after yeah, it lands, and then it's just like yeah. a horror show, like blood spatter windows. Oh, it's it's nasty. I mean, it is nasty. Yeah, yeah. So sort of kind of kind of cover sort of cover the show as quickly as I can in terms of a recap. Um Oliver Olivia Dunham, you you sort of move to her, who's in bed with her FBI partner in in relationships as well as work. Mm-hmm. So Agent Scott is her partner. Um, they're sort of in bed together, romantic. He says I love you. They then get a call to go to the airport. They they sort of rock up separately um actually and a little bit plays out later on he gets out of a car and you hear half a phone call that he's having which actually i thought was quite cool that you actually go to later on in the episode to find out more about that mm-hmm. um so then we get to meet charlie francis um philip Broyles, and they sort of form an interagency task force this is probably Wearing my first Andrew only my only complaint in this whole episode is the sexism which felt forced like, yeah. Um, so Philip Broyles refers to Olivia Dunham as honey. And later on, when we meet um, uh, Joshua Jackson's character, um, uh, Peter Bishop, he refers to her as sweetheart several times. And yeah. she's a bit like, come on, call me sweetheart one more time. Uh, I just didn't get that. And, this, and if you carry on watching this, all of that sexism gets dropped. Like, you know, they don't, they don't yeah. bother with those names. They try like, to, like, have a, a write-off line where they explain why uh, Broyles is so harsh toward her, where it's like she used to be a military cop and or a military lawyer, and she put um, one of his former friends in jail because he uh, was reported and found to be guilty of sexual assault. Um, so Broyles has like, you know, he, he has a mark against her in his mind for that, but they never really explain why Joshua Jackson or, uh, why Peter Bishop is such an ass yeah, yeah, <laughs> to her. Yeah. And, um, and th- again, that all kind of gets dropped as well. Like I didn't really, I didn't really get the unnecessary sexism. So I won't, I won't carry on going on about that, but they sort of form this interagency task force. They get on the plane, kind of have a little look around. They follow some leads, end up going to some storage container, which uh, explodes. Agent um, Agent Scott gets this stuff on him as well, but it's not as bad as the plane. He's kind of a little bit in limbo. His skin goes a bit see-through. Um, 
And then they kind of lead to a, Olivia Dunham doing some research in which she finds out this stuff's happened before, which ties to a guy called Walter Bishop, who's in a mental institution, but he's done this kind of what they call in speech marks, fringe science. Mm-hmm. So, Pseudoscience. Yeah, yeah, hence the name fringe. Yeah. And, and this is where you're making the big differences between the X-Files and fringe. So X-Files was aliens, creepy monsters, you know, you know, kind of it was more on the fantasy side. Fringe is laying it clearly down very much at the beginning. Oh, yeah. Fringe is definitely for the nerds because they get to talking about chemistry and they start spouting off all of these alchemical like formulas and all of these things. And it's it's great if you're into that kind of stuff. So it does get super, super heavy on the jargon, but it's so good. It's, it's, it's they talk so fast and they don't spend enough time on it for you to be confused enough about it like mm-hmm. they only use it when they're talking about specific compounds when they when they go into the actual scientific names of the compounds it's not like they're speaking science lingo to each other and then they expect the audience to keep up it's just sort of like they're talking about it in, in a passing conversation i was gonna say so all this this show obviously does follow the the, the monster of the week type formula mm-hmm. that x-files did however the monster of the week is science driven yeah like and and like it's science fiction but it's but it has a science background yeah um and things that they do are for, for instance scientific experiments mm-hmm. or, or you know but they all have like even if there's like a i think there was one episode but i can't quite remember now but there's one episode i'm sure there was like some sort of time travel type element involved in it but again it was like a machine rather than like rather than say the exiles would be like a parallel world or well actually they do dive into parallel worlds in this but um but or you know in x-files would be like magic or something like that um anyway i, I love the x-files by the way I'm not, I'm not i'm just saying there's a big difference between the two so anyway they have to, to get walter bishop out of the mental institution there's only one person who can get him out and that's his Oh, estranged say, grifter's yeah, son yeah yeah that's probably the right word yeah for peter bishop so olivia dunham has to go get him he's um in iraq yeah that's it and um she goes to get him there's a bit of a little confrontation between the two of them she has to sort of lie a little bit to get him back in england um and he kind of becomes like an almost like an unofficial... they're in boston sorry oh, did in i said boston. new york sorry sorry yeah, you said england and uh, anyway, so that's where I am. <laughs> anyway, so they get to Boston. And, um, but you know, actually, one of the cool things about this whole show is every time they move to a different place, yes. what I love it, yes. what I love Me is, rather, what I love is what, rather than having, say, like other, other shows do this where they'll have like text go across the bottom of the thing, yeah. um, they have like absolutely huge 3D letters, like that look like they are dropped into the sequence. They're yeah, not yeah, on like, the bottom. Yeah, it's real yeah, cool. So, you, so you'll see like Harvard University just just literally huge letters in like on top of the building or whatever. Like, you know, like you say, like they've just dropped the letters on top of the building. Anyway. So they go to Boston and they, they go and get him out of the institution. Um, Olivia chats to Walter initially. And I love, I love some of the moments between Olivia and Walter, Olivia and um, uh, Walter. Like he suddenly starts getting like nervous about something or agitated about something. And she's like, oh, what's that? And they, uh, and he's like, oh, they serve, you know, well, I can't remember the dessert now, but they serve such oh, and such pudding. dessert on Friday. Yeah, such and such pudding on Thursdays. Pudding. Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, and she's like, oh, well, don't worry, it's Monday. And he's like, oh, good, good. And then, um, and then when they do get him out of the institution, they're driving, um, he agrees to do this work um uh, and um 
to go and see Agent Scott. So they get him in the back of the car. And I love this bit. They're driving along and he goes, oh. And then uh, they go, what is it? He went, I just wet myself. Like, <laughs> honestly, oh, I was just dying. Like, it, it's such a serious show. Yeah. And he just, he, he, just, it, honestly, the comedy is just brilliant from him. Yeah. So they, they have to get his old lab open, which hasn't been used in like 30 years at Harvard. So it, luckily enough, Harvard have forgotten about this room and it's covered in dust sheets, and, um, which I can imagine could probably happen in big universities. Like they might have rooms that they've forgotten about. So they um, get, sort of get their lab open and they get Astrid who is Olivia's FBI assistant, but she pretty much just for the entire fringe ends up just staying in the lab with um, Walter with Bishop. Walter, yeah. And um, and there's this ongoing joke where Walter keeps forgetting who she is. Like, um, so she's like, he's like, oh, we, you know, I even like in the next couple of episodes as well, it's kind of the next thing. She, he's like, oh, I'm Walter. And she's like, yes, I know. Like, we've, we've met before. <laughs> like, and, uh, like, um, but yeah, so then what I love about this show is they, they kind of jive straight into it where they get, they get Agent Scott to the lab and he starts telling um, Olivia about how he, as he knows a way for her to sort of link minds, and they have to basically strip her naked, put her in a. She's not completely naked, but they kind of make a reference to stripping her naked, putting her in this sort of water tank connected to a load of wires. And then suddenly you just see her in some sort of mindscape talking to Agent uh, Scott. And then she sees what happened, Mm -hmm. which leads to her being able to do like a photo fit in the real world and then find um, a guy who is identical, who claims to be his twin. Um, Whether or not that's true, who knows. However, from memory uh, of this show, they do revisit that actor again later on in season one from memory, I'm pretty sure. So they also get involved in a company called Massive Dynamic. Mm-hmm. So which um, uh, Walter Bishop knew the owner. Uh, they Walter, used to run uh, experiments together. Yeah, yeah uh, William Bell. So William Bell later on is actually, who comes into the show later on in, in I think it's like season two. He's played by the late Leonard Nimoy. Um, there's actually like just a fun fact, by the way, they wanted to get him back later on. I can't remember why they could get him back, but they decided to do um, an animated episode uh, in which there is a way they did to bring him back. So I, th- I, I can't remember exactly that, the details of that, but I thought that was a pretty cool way around of bringing him back to have an animated episode. So rather than like a, a recast or whatever. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so they, they do all this, uh, stuff they they basically track down this other bloke who looks like him which leads to eventually um agent scott being saved because he get they give the answers to, to the to the to the cure yes because they virus. needed to know what chemicals hit him so that they yeah. could come up with a counter the counter yeah agent scott comes back to life etc etc they don't realize at this point that agent scott is actually a bad a guy dirty he is dirty yeah, dirty cop yeah and so he kills this bloke goes and suffocates him with the pillow there's a bit of a chase scene and he dies in Olivia's arms. And it all sort of does a bit of a circle where she ends up back at Massive Dynamic and they allude, they sort of kind of end it with them kind of forming a bit of a team. And uh, and Broyles talks about something called the pattern and said there's been lots of cases about people doing experiments and there's lots of this shit going on. And, you know, they, they want to kind of create a task force. And that's kind of your sort of hour and a half episode that sets up fringe now mm. that one episode on its own 
is is amazing. Um, and I, I, I gotta be honest, you know, I'm gonna be completely biased having watched all five seasons. And I remember like every time an episode would come out, I would like friends of mine at work or we'd be down the pub chatting about fringe and yeah. And this show just it it literally where it starts and where it finishes, uh, it's just <clears throat> worlds apart. If you've honestly never seen this, just literally put it down on your list and, and you'll be just hooked. So yeah, I know if like you can second- get past all the blood and gore from the first 10 minutes, this this show is so good because it it brings up stuff and on at, like when you first hear about the stuff that they're talking about, you're like, oh, this you're full of shit. Like, but they they tell you these fantastical things with enough science jargon behind it that part of you is kind of like, well, I mean, maybe that's possible. I don't know. Maybe maybe you could do something like that. So it's always playing at the back of your mind, like, well, what if? So the whole time you watch Friends, you always have that what if question in the back of your head, which is what makes it so engaging to watch. I mean, I think to sort of to kind of break down what the show is. So you very much have got the father and son dynamic between Peter and Walter. Mm-hmm. You've clearly got the foundations of a relationship between Peter and Olivia. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest. Nina is a good sort of secondary character. I would, you know, I wouldn't say she she's not one of the main characters, but she is a strong secondary character. Yeah. And they form this. And Broyles is your enig- enigma sort of leader. He clearly knows more than he than he should. Right. Um, Although you do not meet uh, Nina in the pilot. Sorry, Nina. You don't, you don't meet Nina in the pilot. Yeah, in um, what uh, from? Oh yeah, oh, no. she's the robotic arm lady. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah I forgot yeah. her name. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, so Nina is only like in ten episodes of season one. Um, uh, yeah. So, so I, I mean Astrid. Sorry, Astrid is a good secondary character, not one of the main characters, but I think she's a brilliant secondary character. And I think actually, it's probably my biggest complaint throughout watching this was that she. It, one of the biggest crimes of the show was that Nina, sorry, I said Nina, Astrid wasn't given more screen time. Yeah. Um, I definitely think Astrid should have been given maybe even the odd episode to, to shine. Yeah. So, but she, she was the, the relationship between Walter and Astrid as they go on is, is yeah. brilliant. So, also, um, I do love Jean. I'm going to throw my, throw my hand in the hat for uh, Jean, who is the cow. Oh, the cow. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love the cow. And um, I forgot to mention, actually, this is uh, the episode was directed by Alex Graves and it's from the minds of J.J. Abrams, uh, Alex Curtis and Roberto Orkai, I think. Um, Robert Orsi. Okay. Mm-hmm. Apparently this conversation, uh, the show came together from sort of conversations between the three of them, which led to the foundations of this show. <clears throat> now, like I say, the pilot on its own is easily accessible. Yeah. It, it's- it, it, is 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 fantastic watching, and it's not cheap. Like it's not one of these sort of summer, like all summer shows. It, you know, it, it didn't come out in August with a lower budget. It is a prime time show with, and even, and I, I don't even think it's dated. Although it came out in two thousand and eight, it's still very watchable now. Yeah, the um, only difference is the cars. The the cars <laughs> are what age this series. But if you're not, if they're not in cars, you can't tell. No. You can't tell at all that this series is twelve years old. So just a little bit of a teaser for the next four or five seasons. So seasons one to four are procedural most of the time. However, there is massive long form storytelling. And I believe it's season three where we actually get alternate episodes between this earth and another earth. It's very cool. 
like so every other episode is olivia and the team that she's working with on another earth and it is very it's very well layered and it's not for the entire season three i think it might go up to maybe like episode 10 or 12 um and before there's a confrontation shall we say um between both groups of people i don't want to say too much more but then there's this tiny sort of storyline that's dotted throughout the first four seasons which kind of kicks off into season five which is where season five is not procedural really it it is more like i would say season five is more like an event style Mm -hmm. season um but anyway i can't talk about this anymore like I, i sort of you know, I, I love this show. I think it's brilliant. I'm almost now like tempted to carry on my rewatching it. It's just such a good show. It like, really, it really does hook you. Like, like I said, it it jumps in straight to the action, jumps in straight to the mystery, and it gives you enough familiar terms that even though it looks really far fetched, the way that they describe it and the way that they talk about these events really doesn't seem so far off. So there, like, like I said, there's always that element of maybe, maybe this, this it's kind could of actually like, happen. It's almost like it could be five years from now. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's kind of very much like, it's almost like a, a future now. Like, you know, yeah. that's kind of a bit how it is. So, but, you know, I, I think it's great. Like, and and what, what I like about Olivia, though, she's not like a Gillian Anderson sort of scully. She's not a disbeliever. She's, she's eager to jump in, but she's not like Mulder the other way. Like, she's not running around saying i believe but she's not like silly like scully go like walking around with blinkers on she she is open to being ready for what's coming yeah but like but she not. she will take the information as it comes yeah she she's very well i don't really know where this is going but i believe you think you know where this is going so i'm gonna let you run with it and i'll a lot of it's going a lot of it's gut instinct for her she's not a scientist but she does believe in the in her gut like Mm. if she i think if if there's trust there she'll do it so but yeah anyway we'll we'll wrap up my fringe love uh is there anything you want to add before we move on no go ahead tell them your rating and uh yeah it's 10 out of 5 (laughs) (laughs) so yeah okay (laughs) <laughs> I guess if I wasn't doing 10 out of 5 it's 5 out of 5 but yeah we rate everything out of 5 but I just had to give it a 10 so. so there you go the first time ever on the Geeks Unleashed podcast something has earned a 10 out of 5 yeah yeah it's honestly I yeah I mean I know I love it but do you have the same do you have the same love um I probably love it four and a half out of five not 10 oh. out of five oh. <laughs> I know you didn't finish it off but do you think you may ever finish it off Maybe if I get tired of anime, maybe, but it is really interesting. And I do remember watching up to the third season. And I think at the time that was 2008 was uh, a weird time for me because it was like, I was in LA, but I wasn't happy. So I was trying to figure out how to get out of LA. Um, so a lot of stuff, I lost a lot of stuff in like the 2009, 2010 timeframe, just because I was in between States. I know there's always so many shows that I sometimes look back and I'm like, I got like four seasons in out of a six mm-hmm. season show and I like, oh, I need to go back. Like, I think um, 
nipped up because one of those i literally watched like every season other than the last season i was like and it is something i constantly think i should go back and should finish that off but because it's been like over 10 years now i'm like what's the point so yeah like, but, but again it is something i really want to do so yeah season three uh came out in 2010 Oh yeah, that it, that is it. Yeah, like that is the one where they begin the alternate Earth storyline. Yeah, see, I never made it. it that far, so I got up to season two, and then okay. uh, I kind of fell off. Oh, oh, so once they introduce the alternate Earth thing, I'm like, this is just so good. Like, well, to be honest, all of it's so good. Like, I just yeah, I can't talk about enough of it. How how brilliant it is. So um, yeah, just that's just good. Just watch it if you've not watched it. Just watch it. <laughs> and again, if, if if you're in the US, you can actually watch all of Fringe for free on IMDb TV. IMDb TV. Got the part to it's say. It's a hundred episodes. Is it's a good binge watch. So. Yeah. And as we like to come to the end of an episode, we like to recommend something. So I'm going to recommend the first issue of Robin, which came out this week by Joshua Williamson and Gleb. I do not know how you say that. Mel- Melnikov. Yeah, there you go. Uh, essentially, this issue is Mortal Kombat, which, considering my dislike of that film last week, how much I enjoyed it in comic form. So Damien Wayne has heard about something called the League of Lazarus, uh, and he goes off to fight in their tournament, unaware that it's a fight to the death. Uh, so I don't want to say too much more. Uh, however, there is a killer cliffhanger (laughs) Uh, anyway um it's easily accessible if you don't know anything about robin damien is obviously the son of bruce but even if you didn't even know that the first two or three pages are narrated by batman and they kind of set the scene for the relationship of, of him and robin and and the fact that he's gone off the grid so he's decided to go on a solo mission a bit like the early days of bruce when bruce decided to go and become batman this feels like a bit of a comparison that Robin has now gone off to become maybe Batman himself one day. So uh, what I thought was cool as well, though, was in um, uh, Johnson, uh, Philip, uh, Johnson Kennedy's Superman issues, you do see Superman and Robin hanging out in a scene together. And they're kind of talking about how Robin's gone off the grid, but clearly not completely as his best, best buddy Superboy knows where he is. So, mm. so, anyway, that was my recommendation for the week. And my recommendation this week, in keeping with the Yasuke theme, if you are into samurai, and if you are also into black samurai, then my recommendation this week is Afro Samurai, um, the anime. I have not read the manga, but the anime, if you are a fan of Samuel L. Jackson, you will like this anime, regardless of everybody whether you like anime everybody, or not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Samuel L. Jackson plays two or three characters in this anime. Um, he is great. It is very short. It's five episodes. Um, it's, it's really good. It's the, the story kind of revolves around this sort of ranking system in the, uh, samurai or rogue samurai league, so to speak. And, uh, Afro, which is what they call him in the film. Afro's dad is killed by the guy, but, uh, a guy played by Ron Perlman named justice um so justice takes the number one headband from afro's dad so afro has to climb the ranks to get that number one headband back and uh it's 
it's just fantastic. It's it's violent. It's wonderful. And again, it's Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. Uh, it's great. So it, check it out if you're if you're still in the samurai mood. Afro samurai is the way to go. Next week we are reviewing Disney Plus's Raya the Last Dragon and the first volume of Chip Zdarsky's Stillwater. That's all six issues, by the way. And as a reminder, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our sixth Late to the Party book club episode was Akira, Volume 1 by Katsuhiro Otomo. That episode dropped at the end of April. And next month's book club, or actually May's book club this month, is going to be They Called Us Enemy by George Decay, Justin Isinger, and Steve Scott. Just to note, by the way, when we say second podcast, it's still on the Geeks Unleashed feed. It's yes. titled. It's titled it's just, Late to the Party. Yeah. Um, you can also follow us on social media. We are everywhere. However, where you will find us most is Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as Geeks Unleashed. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Tune in, Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Google. We are everywhere. So be sure to give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. By the way, speaking of geeky friends, we've been making a lot of friends lately. We've been all up in the DMs and chit-chatting with people and made a handful of new friends for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. So big shout out to everybody that's sort of followed us and said hello and and dropped us likes and star reviews and all that all that shizzle. So yeah, appreciate it. Thanks very much, everyone. And uh yeah, so all of you guys have a good week. Bye.